Um, I feel like it's been a long time since I preached. I don't think I preached for about a month, which I haven't gone for about a month for a long time. Um, so I'm feeling a little rusty, but I'll just walk into this. In the middle of July, 64 AD, basically a great fire swept through Rome. I think we have a picture of that. And so as this fire swept through Rome, I can't, I can't help but to think about my home state of California. I don't remember this as a kid all the time, but it always feels like California is burning. This is burning all the time. And like we see our friends literally leaving California and they're moving to North Carolina and they're moving to Tennessee and to other places. I just called up a friend and I go, why are you moving? We're done with California. And so I get it. And so they're moving out here. So Rome is burning. Retail stores are being burnt down in and around the circus Max, Maximus area, destroying homes, destroying places of worship, the temple area, and literally structures are being consumed day by day. And so, <clears throat> according to Roman historians, they all pretty much believe that Nero, um, the emperor, was responsible for the setting of this fire um, to clear room for his own buildings, his own structures, and one of them was the Golden House. Um, that he wanted to do, in one sense, his own version of an urban renewal. Um, we know a lot about urban renewal, at least my family, as we used to live in the Oakland area. But the first part of urban renewal is what? You need to get rid of the buildings. And so his way was to burn them all down without telling the people what he was doing or giving them a chance to, to move out. And so that's what he is doing in order to build his own house. And so <clears throat> the ironic thing, this is new information I learned this week, Nero literally rushed out to the courtyard, to the main city part, literally giving uh, food and supplies to victims of the city burning and literally opening his own house, his brand new palace type house and telling people to come in because he wanted to look like the good guy and not the bad guy. Um, but word got out that it was a possibility <laughs> that... He started this fire, and the Roman citizens were turning on him. And so he basically was being cornered, and he didn't like this being cornered. And so he basically set up a lie and literally said, a small group of Christians started this fire. And so it turned the Roman citizens away from him and against the Christians. And so the Christians are now being persecuted. They're now, being, they're now suffering. Um, they're not, they didn't just lose their house now, but now there's Roman people <coughs> going after them. Think about it. If you knew of someone who burnt your house down, what would you do? You would probably, what, go after that person, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, <coughs> if you're not a Christian, you might do some really crazy things. If you're a Christian... Well, you do some different type of crazy things, but not the drastic version, hopefully. But you, you'll be mad. You'll be upset. You'll be angry um, if your house was burned down. You would want to go after the people who burned down your house. And so at the same time, once Nero flipped the switch and turned uh, the Roman citizens against the Christians, Nero initiated the first systematic state-sponsored persecution of the Christians in July 24. So they arrested them. They threw them in arenas like this with wild beasts 
and crucified them. So you, if you look in this picture, you can see people <coughs> hung up like skewers on meat um, or meat on skewers. In other words, they're being crucified. You see people <coughs> in little groups, a circle, just kind of huddling together. I don't know if this is the best strategy to deal with lions that are going to go after you very soon. But they're under severe, intense persecution. I don't know the easiest way to describe that. Let's say we brought the kids back in here. We locked the doors up here, and we have a lion that's very, very hungry on the loose here. Imagine that, running after one of your kids. Puts their, open their mouth and bites your kid's head off. That's what's going on here. And then they, once they're done with their kid's head, they go for your head, your arm, your leg, and they maul you to death. So this is a situation of the first century church. And we, scholars and theologians have no idea how many people died in this situation. Many say Paul probably died and Peter probably died in this. I'm not 100% sure. But this brings us to our context. This is the backdrop of today's passage. And it's really an answer to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, where Peter is addressing the elect resident aliens who have been scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're just running for their lives. And <clears throat> some are running, and they're able to get to all these places. Some are not running because they've been captured and they're being used as entertainment and food for animals. So this is a situation that's going on. And so there are church leaders that Peter's going to address, and he's trying to encourage them and to shepherd them, shepherd the other shepherds, the other elders in this situation. And so in my strange mind, I, 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 I would be so curious to take the elders of the first century and the elders of this century and put them on a table and literally ask them to compare notes from what was go what's going on in our world of pandemic and politics and this agenda and that movement and have them sit together with the other elders of the first century and what that discussion would look like and be like. I don't know what the conclusion would be like, but it would be a fascinating thing to sit in and watch one side say, this is what we went through in comparison to what this group went through. Without a doubt, yes, it's hard on both sides. Without a doubt, it's difficult on both sides. But I think one is more like a mosquito bite, and the other one is more like a lion's bite. They're just different, all right? So this is a situation that the first century church finds themselves in, and this is a situation, well, we, we've lived through it, that we find ourselves in today. So. As I was studying this week, all the commentators basically said this. When a church is suffering and going through persecution, the big thing is for the leadership, the eldership, and the pastors to step up and to exercise faithful leadership, spiritual, godly leadership. But yet the temptation is ever there for leaders to be cowards, to run away, to be act like hirelings, and to say, my heart is not into this. I'm just going to run. Or I'm just a volunteer, and I could check out anytime I want to. Or they could exercise worldliness and foolishness in times like this. And so what Peter is doing, and, <clears throat> and then in speaking to us today, he wants to encourage and to come alongside 
the elders back then and us today, and he's speaking specifically to the shepherd-sheep relationship, the eldership-membership relationship from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, so that we would know how to honor God when it's tough, when it's difficult, when the, the heat is on, when it's burning, um, when there's suffering, when there's persecution. He says, in this crucible, in one sense, I still want you to be rooted in the gospel. I still want you to think about how to reflect God's glory. Yes, it's not as easy. It's easy to be fleshly and do all these crazy things. But he says, hey, I want you to know that the gospel is sufficient for you. Your relationship with Christ is sufficient for you. And so he's going to practically help us um, today and back then. And so he's going to give us five key questions. Or actually, I'm going to put five key questions over the text. So we're going to play question and answer here. So we would better understand this shepherd-sheep relationship. So I think the questions are right there. We're going to answer them. Um, We're going to talk about the dynamics of shepherding. Um, who shepherds, who must be shepherded, the actual people? How must shepherding be done? Why must shepherds serve? What's the motivation there? And then question number five, how are members to relate to shepherds? So there's a lot there. I, I'm going to need some help editing on the fly. But there's a lot there. Um, but I'm going to talk personally. I'm going to talk historically. I'm going to talk scripturally in this case, and I'm just going to ask the Spirit to help me pick and choose where to spend time. But I realize this September marks 22 years of staff ministry for me, serving in California, North Carolina. And I, I would, sometimes you think, some people think pastors just work one hour a week or Sunday morning and that's it. Really, pastoring is like, I don't know, 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, 70 hours a week. It's, non, it's nonstop. Um, some weeks are harder, some weeks are easier, and you experience the greatest joys and the greatest pains in the life of being a pastor. Um, the last six years, I would say the times, the things I've experienced have been more intense than ever. I don't know if because Jesus is coming sooner or God puts me in more difficult churches. I won't, do, <clears throat> but I, as I walk through this sermon, I'm going to usually illustrate from real situations that I went through, and, but I won't name the names. <laughs> just to, because you might know some of them. <laughs> but um, definitely, without a doubt, some of the pain that I've experienced is racism against m- myself. Um, been discriminated, persecuted, um, manipulated, backstabbed, blackmailed, <laughs> cussed out in foreign languages. Um, there's times that I've had a call, we had, had to call the cops because the congregation wanted to kill me, or at least hurt me. Um, <clears throat> Definitely been lied to many times and definitely felt like quitting, throwing in the towel over and over. But yet every time the Lord has been gracious to provide a source of encouragement, often pastors who came alongside me and encouraged me. There's a unique thing probably with fellow, within, sometime within the church you'll find other leaders that can encourage other leaders within the church. Sometimes it's other pastors encouraging other pastors. And so this sets up question number one. What are, what are the dynamics of shepherding? If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you. So I'll stop right here. Peter is speaking from one elder to another elder 
It's his heart to exhort, to encourage, to come alongside, to literally compel someone to look to Jesus as your encouragement, to come alongside. And so this is what Peter's hope is to do. He's speaking to elders facing a situation probably they've never faced before, that a congregation has gone through craziness. And I would say similarly, even though we experienced a mosquito bite versus the lion's bite, I've never experienced all the stuff that we went through last year. You know, I wouldn't, you know, in the course of the last major pandemic was a while back, and since we just haven't experienced these things. And then social media amplifies things in good and bad ways. And so we've never experienced this stuff. So Peter's heart is to encourage, and he wants to encourage specifically the elders. Um, the elders here, I'm going to spend a little bit of time and give you a little bit of elderology or something like that. Um, he's speaking to elders. So there's more than one elders in this community. Elders typically were heads of households. They're typically male. Um, Sometimes a husband may pass away, and usually a brother, an uncle, or a next of kin will come and step in, maybe a cousin. But <clears throat> amongst the head of households, the more godly, fruitful ones become the elders of the community at large. Um, and so Peter's addressing the elders, and it's a plurality of elders. I want you to see that. And the value of a plurality of elders in the life of a local church, so I'm bouncing back and forth, is to provide more of the mind of Christ in decisions, safeguards, accountability, protection from error. Those are all valuable things and important things to, as to why we have elders in the local church. And the word elder is also interchangeable with other words you see in the New Testament, like pastor, shepherd, overseers. Each of them connotes a different aspect of the role of eldership. Eldership connotes usually a little bit older, um, but has that wise, mature role to the church. Pastor is more of the tending and being amongst the people um, in the local church. And the one who oversees is, comes from, it's the word for bishop or episcopos, one who oversees, the one who looks over, who sees and knows what's going on in the life of the church. And so that's a little bit of elderology for you. Um, without a doubt, um, the household of, the head of households were men um, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, and Jesus and Paul and Peter do the same thing for the New Testament. God calls men to lead. Not that we are better skilled or have a better education. It all has to do with God's order and creative design. I want you to know, this is not a chauvinistic thing I'm trying to do as a pastor preacher. If the Bible literally said women are to be heads of household, I would gladly esteem what God wants and says specifically in his word. But it doesn't say that. I, I, in so many ways, I don't want to be a pastor. I really don't. It's full of grief. It's full of heartache. Many times I hate it, and many times I want to quit. I'll just put it out there. But at the same time, God has compelled me. God has taken a loser, a sinner, someone with no reading skills, someone with no speaking skills, and somehow, whatever reason, I had to study foreign languages, learn Greek and Hebrew, and he's put a heart and desire to be a pastor. I, I went, this is not my choice. I would rather be a janitor or a referee or a soccer coach or anything. I really would. But God has called me, and I've embraced his call because I want to be obedient to the Lord. 
And so when, when I think of like Moses or others who couldn't speak, I mean, that's me, all right? Um, <clears throat> but yet God somehow in eternity past called me and gave me desire. And so when I first at, when I look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and the qualification of the elder, I'm not all there. I'm definitely a work in progress all the time. But the big thing I want you to say hear from me, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow the great shepherd. And I want others to do the same too. I want people to know our Savior, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And so I'm happy to play this role between the shepherd and being an under-shepherd to others that are in the sheepfold and others who don't know Christ. And so it's this weird, conflicting thing I find myself in on a regular basis. But without, <clears throat> I want Scripture to um, define Scripture. And so we'll look at other areas that talk about the role of eldership. Why? I want to raise and be a part of discipling men that would lead their family well, that would make a difference in this culture, that would be difference maker in this generation. We, we could look in history and we could see a lot of men have done great things, a lot of men who've done a lot of bad things. And biblically, a lot of men start off very well in Scripture, but only 10%, meaning 90%, don't finish well. Only 10% finish well, and 90% don't finish well in Scripture. So when I look at this room and just kind of think about where you're at, you know, the reality is that most of us won't finish well. Not that we need to be a stat. I want every one of us, every one of these guys to finish well. So really, as we're t looking to develop women's and men's ministry, there's this very specific goal. We want to groom faithfulness in you. We want to groom longevity in you. We can't just be a bunch of spurts or a little, um, I'm just going to run a little bit and stop, all right? We got to play for the long run, um, I want you to see that Peter is addressing elders that didn't run, though the circumstances is very difficult. They could have easily ran, but they're there. They're there for the sheep. And I want you to also know the sheep are there too. It's a shepherd-sheep relationship in this situation here. So anyways, I'm going on a tangent, but here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Paul says here, this is a trustworthy statement, or this saying is trustworthy. This is a qualification of an elder according to God's word. We want to take God's word at face value. We have no authority to manipulate God's word to say, to, to say, to make it say something else. And <clears throat> before I read this passage, chapter two talked about the women and addressed it, the women in she, with that feminine pronoun, and women. And now in chapter 3, it's a contrast. It's addressed to husband, to men, and he, and all in masculine sets. So this, I want you to know, when God inspired his word, he didn't speak like me with a, a speech impediment or an issue with grammar. I have problems with grammar. That's why I use Grammarly sometimes. God does not have those kind of issues when he spoke his word. He wrote every single word and the grammar according to what he wanted to be penned. That's a brief message and inspiration. So now we'll read. If anyone desires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Okay? In some translation, it's hard work. It's hard work to be a pastor, an overseer. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, 
self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He manages his, his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? And so the qualification comes by managing your own household well, a smaller setting. If you're able to do it there, there's a good chance and opportunity that you're able to manage a, a bigger situation um, of shepherding a flock. And so there's wisdom. The same picture of headship and leadership in the home applies to the church. They're not like two different arrangements. One sets up the other. One is like minor league for the major league. It's the same design in the home and the church. I know there's a theology that says it's one thing for the home and one thing for the church. That's not a biblical theology. It's consistent between Christ's home and your home home, which is another way of thinking. Your home is, is really Christ's home too. If, if it's be a godly home, your home is the same. There's a godly shepherding leadership in the home, and that same idea and truth is translated into God's house too. So, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit. Yes, I've seen this many times. Young leaders, sometimes they know a lot, but you see in their hearts a lot of arrogance come up. Yes, I was one of them. i Found myself in leadership positions too fast, even just serving youth ministry, just being very arrogant toward my senior pastor back in the day. I probably should go find him and apologize. Um, <clears throat> maybe you can hold me to that one. Um, <clears throat> and so going on in verse 7, and <clears throat> the temptation is to fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outs- outsiders so that he may not fall from disgrace or into the snares of the devil. So I'm just reading this so you can see another cross-reference talking about the same same thing. Um, as Peter is speaking, um, he's speaking as a fellow elder. I'm back in verse 1, um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. He's speaking as a fellow elder. In other words, he's an elder addressing other elders. In other words, he's in the same boat together, in the same church, in the same predicament, same struggle together. And he's saying, hey, I am with you, and I'm going to see it through. I'm not going to jump ship when it gets hard, like many people do. He's basically saying, hey, elders, I'm with you. We're, we're together in this. It's a bad deal when elders jump ship. And there's a time, I think, to jump ship, but that's not option one, and that's not option two, and that's not option three. It's way further down the road when you think, okay, this church is basically as good as dead, and you just say it's, you count it as dead. But at, <clears throat> the main thing is to shepherd as best you can um, with God's grace. Um, number two, Peter makes it really clear that um, he's motivated as one who's a firsthand witness of the sufferings of Christ. This is again found in verse 1. In other words, he's seen, he saw Christ suffer. I mean, really, Peter was there everywhere, right? He, he stumbled around. He's Mr. I put my foot in his mouth. He, he's, he was there all along. But the, he's coming and connecting with these elders as one who's been schooled in the gospel, in seeing that the, both the burial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was Peter's schooling. That was a seminary experience. And he's saying, hey, 
We're one with the same. We've gone through the same schooling. We're, we're, we're here together. We come and we speak on the basis of the same authority. Um, also, we see how Peter's motivated. Um, you might be saying, hey, Peter, you get the lead, man. You get all the prestige. You get the status. You got the position. You're, you're, you're a point guy amongst the disciples. Hey, I want you to know that wasn't his motivation. We see in the latter part of verse 1 that down the road there's an anticipation, a future reward, an anticipation at one day that Peter will receive a reward from the Lord for his faithfulness, for his eldership. Um, and so, <clears throat> so that's what motivates him to carry on. Um, to, to be faithful to the Lord, to continue to exercise leadership in difficult situations of faithful shepherding. And so that's what's going on in Peter's dynamic as an elder. Number two, so I put this out there for all of us to think through. What does that elder look like? And to count the cost for a number of reasons. Um, number two, question number two, who must be shepherd? The, the, the simple answer is the flock. But I'm going to give you a little bit of shepherdology. Um, this is in the culture of the first century. And some of it, our Western culture mess up, messes up our thinking toward shepherdology. So really quickly, God created most animals with an innate, uncanny capacity to find their way home. Guess what? Sheep aren't like that. They're not able to find their way home. They're e- they easily stray, and they get lost. And they're also, they've also, they're known to, they're known to be dumb and stupid. They're known to get disoriented. They're known to also just walk to a cliff, and they don't look down. They just walk off the cliff. Um, they're that dumb. Um, some, they're known to overeat, uh, and they graze a lot, and, but they also don't think about what they're eating. So a lot of times they'll eat poisonous plants too, and they'll just eat it. And sheep also have wool, and they gather a lot of dirt and bugs and insects and bacteria on their skin. And also, they don't know how to wipe their behind, so there's a lot of feces back there, too. And so there's a lot of infection, too. Sheep are also deep, (coughs) defenseless, prone to attack. And when they typically are attacked, their only resource is panic, and then they flee. That's basically what sheep do. They don't know how to protect themselves. They don't know how to guard themselves. So that much more, they need a shepherd to protect them, to watch over them. In the Western culture and the Eastern culture, shepherding is done one or two different ways. If you think of like your commercials on TV, the person on the horse, well, how does he relate to the, sh- the sheep or the cattle? Is he in front or in back? Talk to me. In the back. Okay, in the Western culture, we drive our sheep. In the Eastern culture, the shepherd leads in front. How do we know that? Let's look at John 10. It'll be right there. So the scripture is fascinating. Almost everything, every principle, concept, parable that Jesus presents in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are repeated and explained in further detail in Paul's and Peter's literature. So the equivalent to 1 Peter 5 is John 10. John 10 and 1 Peter 5 support each other. One is in Jesus' basic form and then further explained in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 5. So we'll get the first look here. This is Jesus literally declaring himself to be the great shepherd. And I just had to put this in last night because we need to understand biblical shepherdology too. 
So Jesus says in John 10, verses 1 through 18, it's long. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Sorry, guys, I'm having a problem. My thing zoomed so small, I couldn't see it. This is me getting used to technology. Verse 3, to him, verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. Listen carefully. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So there's a shepherd-sheep relationship where the sheep knows his voice. And he's able to lead them out by name. So he knows the sheep personally. Verse 4, when he has brought out his own, he goes before them. It doesn't say go behind them. So there's a trust. That's why as pastor, you know, you lead out in prayer. You lead out in discipleship. You lead out in evangelism. <clears throat> so the church knows, hey, this is what it looks like. And they, if it's a healthy situation, a church follows um, their pastor, into evangelism, into community, into discipleship. That's biblical right here. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So they're not quite getting it. Verse 7, they're going to repeat, Jesus is going to repeat it, the same idea right again. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to them, he's basically saying, listen, this is important stuff. I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I guess there's some smart sheep there. That's a good thing. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. My friends, you can be saved if you go to the door that leads to the great shepherd. I'll just put it right here. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you could say right now, I want to be saved and I'm coming to the shepherd. Lord, save me. I want to be part of your sheepfold. And I will go in. <coughs> And find good pastors. Pastor, verse 10. The thief, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't find the easy way out. He doesn't say, I quit. He says, I lay my lay life down for the sheep. Verse 12. He who, is hired, he who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. I want to throw in the nuances here. We don't hire people, and we don't hire interns here. We literally, the mindset is we're trying to free someone up to do more ministry. We believe that they're worth it in a godly way, that we want to free them up or train them up to do more ministry in an effective way. And this notion of hiring is not a biblical concept uh, there's a sense that we remunerate because um, the Bible says so, but not in, the, in our humanistic employer-employment concept. We just want to see this person, this guy or gal, to pursue ministry all the more for the sake of God's kingdom. 
And so that's the picture there. That's how we're taught in seminary. It's the idea of freeing someone up of, to pour their more, more energy or to be all the more trained. And so that's what's happening in verse 11. The last part of, me, the last part of verse 12. So he who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. Those who, <coughs> excuse me, is not a shepherd who does not know the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. That's just great. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. That's very sad. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am a good shepherd, Jesus says. I know, <clears throat> I know my own and, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. That's how it works, Jesus says. I have, I, and I have, this, is, this caught my attention yesterday too. Verse 16 is key. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. So there's people that are in this fold that are saved. And then he's talking about this other sheep fold, this other group of sheep that are not in the fold currently. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Hey, my friends, there's a sheepfold here, and there's a sheepfold there. That's why, Rooted Church, we are committed to the Great Commission. That's why we have, we implore you every week to go love on your neighbors, and we have practical ways where we engage the city through Dream Center, and we have an opportunity to engage the campus afterwards. But there is a sheepfold that's on the outside that God wants to bring into the inside. That's right there, scriptural. And there's this group of people that I I know, they know this intellectually, and they know it's supposed to be done, but they just don't do it ever. And we call that disobedience. God wants us to come into obedience to the Great Commission, to his grand plan to expand his kingdom and his glory everywhere, to spread his gospel. I want to say it liberally. Okay, uh, when I was in the hospital, there was so much peanut butter, jelly, and jam. Sometime I just got this little crack and I just put a ton of peanut butter all over it. We want to put a ton of the gospel everywhere, all right? Everywhere. So just, is this everywhere? Going on, he says, in the last part of verse 16, so that... So there will be one flock, one shepherd, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay, my down, my, <clears throat> lay down my life that I might, what, take it up again. Yes, Jesus gets a big picture. And this is true for us. If we get the big picture of what God is calling us, there's times we are laying our life down. It's inconvenient. It's hard. It's difficult. You might say at this church, man, I have no friends but we have family. I want you to say, I want you to understand, biblical family trumps friendship. I don't know if you understand the difference. We are a biblical family. That's what we're striving for. So we're here together through the thick and thin. Friendship is basically when you have like a whole bunch of similarities with each other. I like popcorn. I like this type of movie. I like people like me. But what happens if they don't fit your personality profile? Do we abandon or do we stay with family? Yeah, I got a lot of family that don't fit my personal profile in my biological family, but I don't abandon them. They're still my family, and I care for them. I want the best for them. But these aren't the people I would say, these are my friends, but they're my family. And same token, this is heavy theology. 
We are family because what? God is our Father. Family trumps friendship theologically, and it should so in view of the doctrine of biblical siblingship and adoption. So one day, yes, God will reward you, and may that motivate you. And one day, if you, if you die in this life, we can know that God will take us up again. <laughs> and all our concerns about I didn't have this and didn't have that, they'll mean nothing in the life to come. That's heavy theology to digest and to implement. I, I don't argue that. But I, I, I'll put this out there. I'm friendly with a lot of you guys. I can't say we're, we're best friends, but I want to be as much family as I can with you. I really, truly do. So, going all the way back, who are the people that are to be shepherd? Peter says it's the flock among us. Okay? It's, in our case, if we were to translate it here, it's the eldership and membership relationship here. It's not every sheep, any place, and anywhere. Peter had a specific flock and his elders to shepherd. I have a specific flock that God has called me to. I, not that I'm not friendly with people from other churches, and not that they're not my brother or sister, but God has given me a specific flock that I'm called to shepherd. And so we look at Acts chapter 20, and we look at now Paul's life and his picture, an interesting dynamic that he holds when it comes to shepherding. He says this in Acts 20, verses 26 to 31. He says, Therefore I testify to you, the Ephesians church, this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink, shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. But this is what he wanted to highlight the most, I believe. But he says, as he's leaving and departing the church of Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. This tells me very specifically, I need to be careful and pay closer, careful attention to myself and to the flock. Hey, this has been a humbling season. Because I have not been as busy, there's times I'm just lonely and just thinking about stuff. It's been sobering to see my sin ever before me. My own frustrations, which means my pride. My own lack of gentleness means a lack of grace in my life. My own lack of humility, where there's a lot of pride, where there's um, a lot of sin in my life. And th those things need to be checked and repented and identified. And then it says to, to pay attention to the flock, to know the flock well, to know where they're tempted, to know where they're easily persuaded by theories that are not scriptural, and, and where they're tempted to, to run to, to, to be satisfied from cisterns instead of going to Christ, the cistern of living water. There's two different things. And you just, I just need to know the flock. It's easy to be tempted with by the cisterns of this life. We're easily amused, and we find ourselves consuming so much unhealthy stuff. And I, we just need to identify these things. And so he says, hey, it is by the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit you're called and selected and elected to be an overseer, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So this is interesting. There's a dynamic that the flock is Christ's flock. He died for every flock. 
I can never say with a personal possession, pronoun, whatever that is, that you are my flock. You are actually Christ's flock. But God has put me as an overseer, uh, under shepherd, to point you to the shepherd. That's my job on a constant basis, to, to be an under shepherd, to point you to the flock. And I know I, there's a, a shepherd-sheep relationship where I am <clears throat> responsible for in this season, for whatever it looks like. So this is the unique Dual dynamic, I made my own word, dual dynamic of shepherding, where Jesus shepherds you, and I have a human role to shepherd you. So let's keep moving. Um, at Rooted Church, um, oh, there's so much here. Um, in, in Hebrews chapters 13, verse 17, I don't put this verse up like a, like a weapon, but it's here for a divine purpose, and I had to put it out here. But it, it's so important because the way you and I relate both ways will give God either a lot of glory or bring a lot of shame. And so it looks like this picture. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are watching over your souls. It is difficult to watch over souls because you can't really see them. They're not like my iPhone where I could upload and download stuff into them and fix them easily. Watching over souls is, is very delicate. It's very difficult. It's hard to know exactly what to do at times. But we're soul watching. We're caring for souls as those who will give an account. So elders, pastors, we will give account for our soul watching one day. Um, and it's, the, authors of Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says this, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. You don't need Greek to understand what this is saying. As a member, your aim and goal is to make it a joy. And I want you to know, you could say the hardest thing to me, but say it to me. Don't go home after church and have roast pastor, like roast pig, roast pastor. Really, if you have to give me that email in a good way, make it a joy for me. Text me, email me, and let's talk things through, even the hardest things. You can say, Gary, you suck. You can't preach, you can't speak, whatever. You're nonsense. And I know there's some people here still struggling with BLM and Asian hate. Let's talk about it. We have black people in this room. We have Asian people in this room. Let's bring it together and have a healthy conversation over this stuff in real terms. If you want me to bring other black pastors in and have this conversation, I know a lot of them. I'm not qualified to talk as a black man or a black pastor. I'm not. Just look at me. right? I get the best tan possible. It won't work. All right? I've never experienced that. But we can create a setting to do it in a healthy way, and I want to do it in every way for you, for your good, and for God's glory. Um, I think there's a place for that. So the door is open. Um, it may, may take me time, but this is where we get to exercise patience, and I get to learn patience, all these things that God wants us to learn. Um, but it's for our good and for his glory. And I want you to know, shepherding is messy. But... It's a mess worth making. So much literature written by David Tripp just saying, hey, the church is so impatient. So many people have left their church in this past season. I really feel not over real and legitimate and biblical things. Most of it's been selfish, prideful, knee-jerk reactions. Without much conversation with elders, without much patience, without much understanding, without much love. As most of it, I believe, is in self-interest. 
And so I'll put it out there, and it goes both ways. I, I need patience to work with people, and you probably need patience to work with me. <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> it takes much love. At Rooted Church, we have a system to shepherd sheep. Um, back in California, I used to love In-N-Out Burger. I used to probably eat it every week, sometimes twice a week. Here in the East Coast, we do Chick-fil-A. They both major on two things well. In and out with burger and sorry fries are not that great, but whatever. And out here, chicken sandwiches and crisscross fries, which are way better than In and Out burger fries. That is my opinion. Rooted Church, we're not trying to be everything for all people. We're really trying to do two main things. We want to have a service on Sunday that we gather well together. We gather well to pray together, to preach the gospel, to hear the gospel to sing the gospel, to fellowship around the gospel, to pray big. I encourage you to come at 9.55 to pray big. Pray for the nations. Stay long to be family and to grow as family together. That's Sunday. Um, and then <clears throat> we have regional growth groups. I encourage you to be a part of regional growth groups. Um, for members at this church, this is one of our requirements. I don't say it shame, unashamedly. We, I want to... Co- have a setting where we could exercise a shepherd sheep relationship, that we could be family together. Um, in our, our Sunday, what happens is war, air warfare. This is the Acts 9, X29 language. The word of God is preached and applied broadly. In your growth groups, the word of God is explained, and you have opportunities to talk through and apply the scriptures specifically. And then organically, we want you guys to hang out, to do life together, and apply God's word specifically. I can't do that from the pulpit. When you guys get together, guys, gals, and coffee shops, apply God's word specifically to each other's lives. I know 100% there are struggles, there's heartaches, there's suffering in this room. We are called to be family to each other. We are called to be an uncommon community to each other, for each other, for God's glory, and for our good. Question number three, how must he shepherd? How must this type of shepherding be done? We'll hit these quickly. Um, There's seven marks here that it comes right out of verse two, three, and four. Um, a gospel shepherd is to exercise oversight over the church. He's to know the sheep, know their, what's going on in their life, know what's going on spiritually. That's the shepherd's job, but the sheep's job is also to share with the shepherds what's going on. You can't just say, have all these defenses up, and I am like, I don't know, Star Trek, shields up, here comes my pastor. No, it shields down, let's talk, let's know each other, let's relate. It's okay to share each other's things that are going on and concerns and worries. That's what the church is for. Um, mark number two, shepherds are to be willing, not under compulsion. There's not a sense of a, a duty here or a job. This is really simple. You have a desire um, to serve willingly. So like, there's never a day that I'll ever beg anyone to be an elder. I'll never do that. I'll just do this by myself if I have to, but I'm going to be a part of training them. But 
really, an elder is someone who's already caring for people, who's already loving people. And when they actually become an elder church, we're just, we're just verifying and affirming what they're already doing. Um, they're already doing this stuff, so they're, they're willing. Um, they're the ones that step up. They're the ones that care and are already shepherding people already. It's not a position. It's not someone you hire. I, I, I hope at this church we don't have to hire someone from the outside, that it would be someone that we know well, that's interned well, and we know without a doubt he's a good shepherd. It's easy to know someone over six months to a year versus six hours intense conversations with each other over a weekend. It's this terrible way to bring someone on staff or not on staff, just part of the shepherding team. Verse number four, the fourth mark, or the third mark was huge. Third mark, I may have to save some of this to next week. I'm going to finish this section. We're going to go to communion soon. Um, the third mark, uh, a gospel shepherd is accepting. They're, they're accepting. It says, in the last part of verse two, it says, as God would have you. Um, God, by his grace, he accepts every one of you into his family, into his kingdom. He doesn't accept you based on your merit, based on how long you've been to church. He doesn't accept you based on your, based on your race or ethnicity or your social economic background. He doesn't do that. He accepts you based on his gospel. But yet, as I have been part of elder training process, it's been interesting some of the things I've gone to. Um, I remember a situation where I noticed one gentleman, I go, you only talk to this group of people at our church, those that have black hair and yellow skin. But I don't see you talking to people with white skin or black skin. And I was wondering, why is that? He literally told me, Gary, I just don't go there. I go, thanks for identifying yourself and where your heart really is. Now we know what the real issue is. I remember another person, I said, hey, this person is in your same age group and has a kid too. Would you consider um, discipling him and following up with him? His response to me, he is a loser. I don't want to talk with him. This is an elder training meeting. I, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, why is he a loser? We won't go there. Um, <clears throat> but this is this interesting things that come out in real life ministry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to chop this thing into another sermon. Um, there's, there's an apology I have later on and some things I want to talk about. The struggles we have. I want to talk about the <coughs> women, the wives who are called to elders. I want to talk why, why to join a church. Um, if you're thinking about leaving, I want to talk about that too. So there's a lot of things for next week. So I'm pumping. Prime of the pump for next week, all right? That's what they call it. Prime of the pump. So please come back. My friends, we are going to partake in an amazing meal. So we're going to look at it from this perspective. Well, I'm talking about shepherding physical sheep, real sheep. Um, these are the ones that go, bah, all right, in Israel or in other places. Shepherding sheep is dirty and messy business, and that's just how it works. In the life of a local church, um, shepherding sheep is also messy, um, but it's a mess work worth making. This morning, I want to remind you that the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, laid his life down for us. And when he laid his life down for us, he didn't say, oh, look at these cute sinners. 
<laughs> They're unsinful. No, he looked at a dirty mess. And he looked at a dirty mess with what? Compassion, with gentleness, with an amazing love, with a desire to extend grace, with a desire to extend forgiveness. I mean, they say literally Jesus was what? Love in human flesh. So true. And he laid his life down for us. He bore his sin on a cross for us. He died a very painful death for us. That we might have life if we would trust and put our faith in him. And if you have not, I encourage you, implore you to do so now. At Rooted Church, um, on, typically on the third Sunday of the month, we exercise this habit and this remembrance to remember the gospel, to review the gospel. And when we do this, we have an opportunity to do a couple, three key things. We're able to review our last weeks and month and look into our heart and see, oh, that's not pretty. But at the same time, no, wow, God forgives and covers it and extends this amazing grace and wants to um, extend his healing power, his restoring power, as you repent of these sins, as you go to him and find grace, mercy, and healing in him. So I want to pause and ask you to review and ask Mike to play and allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart for any anxious way, any hurtful way, any relationships in this room that you may need to seek some res restoration now. I know there's probably some I need to and may just do so right now. So shut off my mic. So not everyone needs a hair. Just some people need a hair. All right. So I'm going to call people that you need to talk to. Let's take care of business now.